Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Ale and Zach. Good morning, everyone. Man. I, you know what? I'm just continually reminded of how grateful and thankful I am to be back together uh, with all of you. And it's been fun even in the last week uh, seeing so many uh, students come back that are returning for the first, you know, seeing them for the first time over the summer and just like having a quick catch up. Like, how was summer? How was summer? How was summer? And uh, so many things to share. And it's been a delight uh, and an honor to get, to get to meet and get to know, begin to get to know so many new students as well. Um, but this last summer was a big summer for me because something life-changing, identity-altering happened to me. On June 15th, at approximately 3 a.m. on a Saturday, I became the daddy of a beautiful little daughter. And thank you, thank you. But there was amazing, as amazing as was, um, when she was born, we didn't know what her name was going to be. So we had this moment of crisis. Here we are, sleep-deprived, exhausted, and again, immediately, I had the easy part in this whole thing. Um, and we had a couple names on the list, and we thought we would like our son. We, when our son was born, we had a couple names, and we saw him, and we're like, boom, it's, it's Bennett. We knew it. We know it's... But when she came out, and we're like, like I need a nap. You know, I, I don't know what. Like, so we had a couple on the list, and, um, and we're like, okay, we got some time. We're here for a couple days. But it seemed like, I mean, moments later, the, the staff comes in. They're, okay, here's the birth certificate stuff and the name. Like, oh, what's the baby's name? And we're like, like, I don't know. And then, like, every nurse, you know, like, exchange of staff would come through. Uh, and the first question is, oh, hi, you guys are the proud parents of a baby girl. Okay. And it just felt so like, oh, man, like, I don't know. We don't know what to do. And, and so uh, we literally waited until about an hour before we left um, the hospital, literally. They're like, okay, here's your chance. Here are the papers. We need these. You know, and like, if you don't sign them, like, it gets all the more complicated and messy and difficult. And so we finally made the decision, because I, what I didn't want to, and I realized, okay, it's not actually illegal in the United States to have, to not have a name. You can actually keep, be here and live here and not have a name. Now, life's very difficult for you, because that means you don't have a social security number, that means you can't get a driver's license, that means you can, probably can't be employed, you can't, a lot of difficult things. And I actually read a story of an Olympic gold medalist whose parents did not name her, and just called her baby girl until she, until she was three, and she selected her old name of Picabo Street. I'm like, eh, okay, I don't want to go that route either. So we finally, finally made a decision. Finally made a decision, and her name is Violet Marie Jepson. And we call her, thank you, thank you. We call her, we call her Letty, Violet, Letty for short, which means joyful. But I, I have to wonder, um, if we hadn't chosen a name, I suppose our little girl probably would have had this reaction. So this is Letty, and uh, she has a lot of different faces. Her eyes make up 50% of her face, like her mom. And I know I'm a biased, uh, a biased daddy of this beautiful little girl, but I feel like so many memes could be made with this face. <laughs> like, you ate the last bowl of Cinnamon Toast Crunch? Like, tuition is how much? 
What do you mean you just want to be friends? I have to get so, how many spiritual development credits? Just kidding. Okay, but in all reality, we like to think that she likes her name and appreciates it and respond with it, because this is the face we normally see. The smiley, the smiley face version. So she's, she's a happy little girl. She's a happy little girl. Um, she's still small enough where I can hold her like a little football. Um, but here's the, here's, the, here's, the, here's the idea. Behind every name, there's a story. Do you know yours? What's your name? In fact, what's your name? That's the title of this morning's message as we begin to walk through the book of Ephesians as a part of our theme of identity. It's a series that over the course, over the whole semester, and in case uh, if you missed chapel last Tuesday, I did an overarching kind of a vision casting trajectory setting time where we looked at overarching of the whole year of chapel is this theme of abundant life from John 10.10. 10 that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus says, I've come as the good shepherd to give you life and to give it abundantly. But the three components of abundant life, I believe, uh, could be summarized as, as identity, knowing who you are, intimacy with God and others, and impact, knowing your purpose and what, what, what you're here for. And you look at the way that the enemy um, is, is combating us, he wants uh, to kill our intimacy, he wants, uh, he wants to steal our identity, he wants to kill our intimacy, he wants to destroy our impact. And so we're actually going to take the whole semester and look at identity. And one of the ways that we're going to do that, um, on not, not every week, but um, often every, but a couple times a month, we're going to be slowly plodding through the book of Ephesians as we unfold this idea of identity, intimacy, and impact. And so I think Ephesians captures these themes in profound and practical ways. So as we begin this morning, um, and to start, I want to start actually with the part that often gets skipped over, the introduction to the letter. Only two verses that'll come up on screen. Simply says this, Paul, a name, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, I pray that right now in the remaining of our moments that your Holy Spirit would move through the power of your inspired word. And I pray that as we spend some time simply unpacking these two verses as we introduce really again the beginning of a new year but a new journey that we're going to be on together in chapel. Set the course Help our souls to savor these words in such a way that our hearts are in alignment with Christ and that we celebrate with great joy over who we are, in our, over who we are because of who you say you are and what you've done for us in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, before we begin unpacking, I, I want us to see that the three key identity truths that we're going to unpack in these two verses, um, uh, we need to see this in the context over the over, of overarching letter. So we need to remember that when we're opening a, a passage of scripture like Ephesians, we're reading somebody else's mail. 
And we need to remember that the Bible ultimately wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. There's a difference there. And so this idea, it would be wise for us to consider the overarching themes of this letter as we unpack the specifics of who wrote it, who it was written to, and why it was written. So I just want to give us some overarching Ephesians summary statements just to help settle us in as we begin. I, the letter could be divided into two main parts. Some have put it this way. The first half, chapters 1 through 3, is who we are in Christ, while the second half, chapters 4 through 6, is how to live in Christ. Ephesians moves from Christian doctrine to Christian duty. It moves from our position in Christ to our practice in Christ. Really, the first half of the book of the letter is what the gospel is. And then the second half of the letter is what the gospel does. Or there are those who have broken down the book into three main sections. That the first three chapters are the wealth of the Christian The next two chapters are the walk of the Christian, and the last chapter, chapter 6, is the warfare of the Christian. A really, really sweet little book. If you haven't have this on your shelf, I recommend you get it. It's really, it's inexpensive, but it's it's, it's short, it's powerful, by a Christian Chinese author by the name of Watchman Nee, wrote a little book called Sit, Walk, Stand, as he summarizes the three, some kind of three key words that are repeated throughout the book of Ephesians which conveys what, we'll, what, 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 we, what the three major ideas that we're talking about. Or to add just one more, our identity, our intimacy, and our impact. So as I mentioned earlier, we often breeze past introduction as kind of this perfunctory portion of the letter, which gets us going on the wrong foot. So when it comes to Scripture, we can't false start. And uh, we need, and, and we be, as we dive into really what many have called the crown of the epistles. So this dynamic... This first struck me when God used the book of Ephesians in my life and during my college years to slow down and see things that I'd never seen before. I had a friend who sat, sat across the table and said, Justin, I really want to get into scripture memorization. I want to invite you into that journey with me. Would you be willing to do that? I'm like, yeah, sounds good. Do you have a list of verses? He's like, I was thinking about Ephesians. So I'm like, okay, I flipped over to Ephesians. And I'm like, okay, so what, what verses do you want to memorize? He's like, no, Ephesians. Let's, let's, let's memorize the book. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm like, great. Um, how do I do that? And over the course of many months, after taking just verse by verse and repetition after repetition, the Lord began to um, really write these words and as, I, as I hid them in my heart. And um, just so you know, I didn't quite make it all the way through. I made it through chapter 5. And then it lost it, and I tried to get it back. And as we're going through it again, uh, my goal is hopefully by the end of our series of this together is to actually finally have it memorized. Um, not so I can say, hey, I memorized a book, and it took me 15 years to do it, but so that these words have become ingrained. But I remember slowing down and, and looking at the, the beginning, and just I wanted to breeze past this, and I'm going to get to the meat of it, and, 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 and I want to uh, just go right over the introduction and into the body, into the major content. But you see... The introduction initiates a connection between the author and the audience. It's like a bridge that's built to bear the weight of the truth that needs to be conveyed. It's the opening greeting is the gateway, really, to the life. It's the door that you walk into. Some have called it the salutation. The salutation is to the letter what a sweet aroma is to a delicious meal set at a dining room table. It's meant to make us salivate. So instead of skipping over the salutation, let's savor it 
for our remaining moments as we whet our appetites for the feast that awaits us as Ephesians moves us from wonder to worship. And so the three main components of the letter, um, as you'll see up on the screen, there's the author, there's the recipients, or if you go back actually, so the author, the recipients, and the message, and just made it really easy for you, who ties those three together? He's mentioned, right? In the first two verses, three times, Jesus is mentioned, okay? And so this idea is that not only is the author, the recipients, and the message is tied together in Christ, the, now through the power of the Holy Spirit, these three elements are now woven into the fabric of our life as well as we study as exp and explore and apply together. And the number one identity statement in the letter is mentioned here in these opening verses. And it's the gospel in two words. The words are, in Christ. Ephesians mentions this phrase more than any other letter, and this is the first of approximately 36 times over six chapters. So these two words really set the stage for our three key identity truths that we're going to explore now for the next and the remaining moments. So first is this. In Christ, we have a new name. In Christ, we have a new name. Saints. Now what's the first first word in the book is not just a word, it's a name. It's Paul. And it's not just the name of, of the author, as was as a customary to mention in an ancient letter. This is a name that tells a story of transformation. And this isn't the name that Saul's parents gave to him. It was the name given to him by Jesus himself. Now, what do we, what do we know of, of Paul, right? Uh, we're all, you guys are Bible students and you're getting a Bible major and maybe you've had an Acts class, or maybe you haven't or you will. You'll read in Acts chapter 9 that Saul um, was really like a fire-breathing Pharisee who was uh, crazy religious, kept all the right rules, had all the right spiritual pedigree, and he hated Christians. And he had a, a, uh, an edict from the emperor and literally made a tour to go persecute Christians and to throw them in jail and often had their hand in their, putting the, in their being put to death. And, and so this, this idea, this Saul, uh, he was on the road to Damascus traveling to do what he did best, persecute and arrest Christians, throw them in jail. And what happened? Anyone remember? Blinding light, brighter than the sun, knocks him on his donkey. He's face first, and he hears the very voice of Jesus, the living Christ, say, Paul, not Paul, but Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And in that moment, Jesus, as he appeared and spoke to him, from there Jesus told Saul, that he was the chosen instrument, appointed servant, and witness for Jesus. He was given a new name, Paul. What Paul was so dramatically changed when Jesus revealed himself to him that he went from persecuting Christians to the point of death to spreading the name of Jesus to the point of his death. He thrived off of arresting Christians and throwing them in jail to being so passionate and relentless about proclaiming Christ that now he would be the one thrown into jail and it was actually from jail that he was writing this letter to Ephesian believers. So Paul went from per persecuting Christians to being a persecuted Christian. He went from persecuting the Christian message to passionately and unceasingly proclaiming the Christian message. He went from being a hateful and harmful and hostile to humble 
And the fact that the name Paul itself means small. And here it says that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Jesus gave Paul not only a new name and identity, but a new mission and purpose in life. It says here that he was the apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So apostles were significant and special servants personally chosen by Jesus to build and establish the church. We see here that this, is all, this all happened by the will of God. Paul didn't sign up for this. He was chosen. Paul, Paul, Paul didn't say, hey, someday I want to do that. This is, this, this is something that God sovereignly chose and elected him to do. And the same, friends, the same is true for you and I. God has sovereignly chosen and elected us, and he has given us a new name as well. And it's saints. Saints. It's who we are because of what Jesus has done. Now, here's the thing. When we hear the word saints, we so often attribute that word saint, and then we'll put it saint so-and-so. I grew up in a faith tradition that, that I, I learned a lot about different people that were talked about as saints. They were, they were venerated or they were exalted to that level of saint because of what they had done in the life that they had lived and that was assigned to them after they died. But here, the title of saint is now applied to us by the exaltation of what Christ has done on our behalf. And so this word saint isn't something that's applied to the spiritual elite, to, to, to the Bible majors and to the pastors and to the missionaries. It's applied to every single believer in Christ. In fact, let's just practice that this morning. Um, turn to the person next to you and introduce yourself. Your name, okay? Say hi. I am so-and-so, and I am a saint. Just say it. Just get it out there. <laughs> okay. See, you're having a little bit of fun, a little bit of fun with that as you, okay? But here's, here's, here's the reality. Hey, saints. Hey, saints. Come on back. All right? I know I often, when I refer to you as a group, as a whole, as a community, I say beloved, right? It's an identity statement. I could just as well and just as accurately, in fact, maybe from now on, I'll, I'll change it up a little bit, and I'll call you saints. To the saints at Northwestern. Here's the thing. This is not, this is not a statement of pride by, based upon your achievement. This is a statement of humility, of receiving who God says you are. Holy ones, literally, is what this means. Positionally, we are holy because we have been united with Christ. Yet personal holiness is about becoming in practice what we already are in position. So do you actually believe that you're a saint? Neither do I, Capria. Okay? Most days, I don't view myself as a saint. Most days, ask my wife. She probably doesn't view me as a saint. Okay? But this is who I am. This is who you are in Christ, even on your worst day. And so I, I know this is this idea. Embrace this new name. In Christ, we have a new name. It's saint. And secondly, our new name carries with it a new purpose. Because in Christ, we have a new purpose. Faithful messenger. Here's the reality. You and I have, all have a dual citizenship. It says, to the saints who are in Ephesus... Or some translations even better say, who are at Ephesus and are faithful 
in Christ Jesus. You see, we have a place in this world where, we, where we, you and I are at, but we have a position in heaven. There was an ice cream shop in Excelsior, Minnesota that I loved going to growing up. I think some of you know where I'm talking about. And it was an old house that was converted into this beautiful, glorious, delicious ice cream shop. And I remember going there one time, right at the closing time, and there was only one car in the parking lot. And I thought, oh, that must it's probably the owner. Everyone's left. You rush in. You're like, hey, I'm so sorry. Can I still, can I still get some ice cream? And, and I, I, know you, I, know you're, I know you need to get home, and I know you probably, you know, it's been a long day. It's a late night. And they're like, no, 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 yeah, it's no problem. It's no problem. He goes, actually, this, this is, um, I, I work down here, but actually I live up there. And, uh, and what they were saying is I, that was actually converted, that they kept the top bedroom, and that's the owner actually lived there. So they would say, I work down here, but I live up there. And the same is true. This is what the idea is, that you are in Ephesus. You have a place in this world, you have a position in heaven. This is where we work, but, that's, but heaven is where we live. Okay, so this reality, this reality, Paul, he mentions his readers are in Ephesus. This ancient city of Ephesus was located on the west coast of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. It was a wealthy city, a spiritual city. It had a fascination with the magic and the occult. It boasted the temple of the famous Greek god Artemis, which was one of the seven wonders of the world. Paul started the first church in Ephesus, and now he was writing to all who are in Christ there in the city and the surrounding regions. See, Ephesians was considered the gateway to the rest of Asia, but yet God was going to use it as a gateway for the gospel because Paul, out of all of his missionary journeys, spent the most time in Ephesians, a total of three years, and it says that he spent there day after day teaching in the hall of Ty Tyrannius. If you look at Acts 19, and it says to the point where all the gospel had spread to all of Asia. But secondly, not only where you're at, a place in this world, second, to be in Christ, again, to emphasize this, just to be personally connected and united with Christ. It's like a branch that's connected to the vine, yeah, or as a limb is connected to the body. To be a Christian or in Christ means to be one with God and his people. So this, this, this whole key term, in Christ, again, is the whole message of Ephesians in a bud form. Paul continues to develop and expound on this key phrase, and it develops into full bloom by the end of the letter. Paul's readers are saints in Christ. They are faithful in Christ. We are not holy and set apart people full of faith and truth by any other way, rather, other than in Christ. And every Christian is in Christ by the will of God. But it says to the faithful. And this the idea here is to be faithfully full of faith. So there's the dual meaning and the construction of this. is not only just ones who have faith, but ones who are faithful. You see, because when you are united with Christ, all of what he has, you have. His life is your life. His power is your power. His strength is your strength. His faithfulness is your faithfulness. And so this idea is that they were both full of faith, having a genuine trust in God, that, and that they were trustworthy, being true and authentic. That these were people who believed what they said and say what they believed and that they would show their faith and what they believed by the way they lived their lives and to be a faithful messenger because we are saved and sent as saints to the service of our Savior. There's a fun alliteration phrase, right? Okay, don't try to write that down. But that idea, we are called apart, we are set apart for a holy purpose to be faithful messengers. That, we would, that our lives would be a gateway for the gospel to, be, to, to explode through. And then lastly, thirdly, 
Not only that we have a new name, carries with it a new purpose, but it also contains a new community. In Christ, we have a new family, the church. I love that he says this. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace are central themes in Ephesians. We'll see later that it's by grace, he, he, he lavishes his grace upon us. He, it's by grace through faith that we've been saved. It says that Jesus himself is our peace. We are to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The gospel is called the gospel of peace in Ephesians. So this is idea is that it's grace that brings us peace with God and peace with one another. So that week two, along with Paul and the Ephesian believers, can say, God is our Father. He's my daddy and he's your daddy. And nothing's going to change that. But here's the thing. We are blessed with all of the heavenly family's riches, but yet we have a sacred and a familial responsibility. One of the central themes of Ephesians is how an integral part of our identity and purpose is found in belonging to Christ's body, the church. The rest of the letter pulls out all the stops in revealing how beautiful, glorious, powerful, extraordinary, and yet complex, and messy, and difficult, and often divided, but yet destined for victory that God's body is. Ephesians shows us that God is forming a new humanity through Christ. That we are the family of God the Father, we are the body of Christ the Son, and we are the temple or the dwelling place of God the Holy Spirit. If I've lost any of you, let me recap it by saying this. The two central themes of the book of Ephesians is your identity, who you are, and how we are to live our mission and purpose. And here's one thing I know to be true of all of you is that we desire these two things. We desire to know who we are. We desire to know why we are here. And as we explore who God is and how he's made known to us in this book, we're going to see what is our identity, explore what is our purpose, and all of the beautiful, practical, diverse applications of it. Because Ephesians answers these two longings that every human has and gives us the source of where we find our identity, our intimacy, and our impact. So remember this, that as you are being introduced to this letter, and maybe some of you, as you are introducing to one another, often the three main questions, right? It's what's your name, what do you do, and where are you from? Same idea, same idea here in the introduction to this letter. In Christ, we have a new name, saints. Have some fun with this. Start, talk, start, start using that, okay? And not just as a fun conjecture, but really reflect on that this week, that you are a saint in Christ. You are a holy one set apart, that in Christ, you have a new purpose, to be a faithful messenger. That's, that's what you do. And then in Christ, you have a new family. That's where you're from. Because we'll see the next time we're, when we go through this, the next set of verses is that we were chosen before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you so much for these beautiful, spirit-inspired, soul-satisfying sin-confronting, and identity-transforming and founding words. I pray, Lord, that each of us would go here, go away from here, knowing that in Christ we have a new name, that in Christ we have a new purpose, that in Christ we have a new family, and help us to see those things in our interactions with one another today and throughout the rest of this week. And God, thank you for the immense privilege it is to open the word together in this time and space. I pray the blessing of the, of the recognition of your presence 
and being satisfied in your likeness for every single one of my brothers and sisters as we go from here today. To the saints at Northwestern, grace and peace to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.